Hello, and welcome to another episode of Electrify This, a podcast focused on the movement to electrify everything as a key strategy to decarbonize and revitalize our economy. Each month, I connect with experts to explore the policy and market issues underpinning the shift to electrify transportation, buildings, and industry. I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, Director of Electrification Policy with Energy Innovation. Today's episode, Changing the Way We Build with Electrified Construction. Now, most of the world is moving again, getting back to some semblance of normal, and construction projects are in full swing nearly everywhere you go. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the underlying challenge of making sure that the way we build doesn't exacerbate our collective climate change crisis and other public health issues, namely through the adoption of electrified construction and zero-emission construction practices. But before we dive in, and before I introduce my guests, it seems fitting to provide a brief recap of the landmark $1.2 trillion Bipartisan Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which President Biden signed into law last week. Also known as the Infrastructure Bill, this huge investment in our nation's infrastructure will expand our competitiveness and help rebuild America's roads, bridges, and rails, expand access to clean drinking water, ensure equitable access to high-speed internet, help address the climate crisis, and invest in communities, tribes, and states. Beyond the hard infrastructure investments, the bill provides some complementary funding to the bigger climate and social spending provisions in the Build Back Better Act, which is still under consideration by Congress. For example, the infrastructure plan includes $7.5 billion for the build-out of electric vehicle charging infrastructure and the creation of alternative fuel corridors as well as $39.2 billion for public transit repair and expansion of our public transit systems. School buses and ferries will receive an additional $15 billion in investments to transition to low-carbon and zero-emission technologies. The bill also allocates $65 billion for grid reliability and resiliency projects, focused on preventing outages and improving transmission lines. For buildings and households, the bill allocates $45 million per year over five years for grants to support energy-efficient building code adoption and another $120 million per year for improving energy efficiency in manufacturing and industrial facilities. $500 million will go towards energy efficiency and renewable energy improvements in public schools. $3.5 billion will support the Weatherization Assistance Program, which provides energy efficiency and reduces costs for low-income households. The bill also includes $55 billion for clean water infrastructure to replace the country's lead pipes and address PFAs in water. And finally, new funding for broadband access will see an expansion under the infrastructure bill. And inevitably, all of this funding will mean a lot of construction. So it seems like a ripe opportunity to explore some cutting-edge developments in the world of zero-emission and decarbonized construction. If implemented at scale, these techniques and technologies could revolutionize the way we build. Today, I'm speaking with experts who are pioneering a new movement to mitigate pollution and the climate impacts of construction in Oslo, Norway, and throughout Europe, including through the deployment of strategic electrification as a tool in the tool belt. So first, with us today, we have Heidi Sorensen, who's the director of the Climate Agency for the city of Oslo. She was elected to the Parliament of Norway from Oslo in 2001 and went on to become the State Secretary to the Minister of the Environment between 2007 and 2012. She's also served as a member of the Norwegian Consumer Council, the Norwegian Board of Technology, the Board of Research Council of Norway, and the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences. Heidi, welcome to the show. Thank you. 
It's great to Thank have you here. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you here. Next with us today, we have Nils Hawkes, a consultant that represents NASTA AS, and for nearly three decades has been working in commercial sales and marketing of construction machines and mining machines. NASTA AS has represented Hitachi construction machines since about 1982. He's also worked in health and safety, product compliance, and risk assessments. He's also served on the Norwegian Committee on Zero Emission Building and Construction Sites and a Zero Emission Digger Construction Site, and has worked on the development of Zero Emission Excavators. Nils, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Great to have you. And I've never heard of a Zero Emission Excavator, but I'm excited to learn more. And finally, we have Marta Lovisolo, who's a Junior Policy Analyst at Bologna Europa in Brussels. Bologna is a climate NGO with headquarters in Norway and offices across several European countries. After supporting the city of Oslo in running the first zero emissions construction site in the world, Bologna is now disseminating the Norwegian experience to European cities and countries, as well as the European Union. Marta, welcome to the show. Thank you. So nice to be here. Well, I am excited to have all of you here today and learn more about this topic. And uh, we have a lot to dig into. So let's get started. Heidi, I'll start with you and have you tell us more about what's happening in the city of Oslo. You all are leading on clean construction as part of a broader policy effort to get to net zero and want to learn more about the motivation for the city to focus on this and what's underway today. <clears throat> yes, as you told, we Oslo has set out to become the first zero emission city. That's um, a very, <laughs> that's ambitious, but also very necessary if we are going to reach the the 1.5 degree target and uh, for us it's a strategic uh, thinking that uh, if you think that two-thirds of the global population will live in cities by 2050 we will need to learn how to build without climate emissions and uh, for Oslo as an example uh, up to 20 percent of overall direct climate emissions comes from construction sites so if we can find a way to build uh, uh, a city, build uh, schools, hospitals, etc., without climate emissions, that will be a big contribution and be absolutely necessary if you are going to reach the price targets. Absolutely. It makes so much sense. And uh, I do feel like it's an underappreciated effort and something that not a lot of folks are really thinking about. So it's exciting to see you guys leading on this. Uh, what are some of the core strategies that you're deploying um, and what has been successful? What are you trying out and what needs uh, more attention? Uh, in, our, in our city, mobility, waste incineration and construction is 90% of the emissions. So, of course, mobility has had a lot of attention. And uh, in a couple of years, all uh, the... Uh, buses and uh, will, uh, and ferries will become fully electric, and uh, we still now started the work with uh, the construction sites. So that is um, extremely uh, important. And the core strategy that we started out with was that uh, we want to see if if we really needed to use diesel at all while we were building, and. Uh, the, the answer to that was, uh, at the first place, yes, we will need some biodiesel perhaps to avoid uh, emissions from the fossil diesel, 
But uh, as soon as we started out with that, more and more I wanted to go to zero emission and electrify instead. And uh, <clears throat> we then decided that, uh, of course, there would be some minor pilot project. But first of all, uh, we said that Oslo is a big buyer. 20% of everything that is built in Oslo is, is built by the municipality. And uh, that's a lot of money each year going into construction. And if we used our procurement powers and went into a dialogue with <coughs> the uh, market dialogue, we could, we could possibly see if there, was, um, if there was a possibility to develop zero emissions construction sites. And so far, yes, that uh, I think we have some very good results. I think there are things that have been moving quite well. And uh, I will be happy to tell you more about uh, what has happened in the last three years since we started to use these tender criteria. That I think has, uh, the market has reacted, I think, surprisingly well. And there's a lot of things happening now. And uh, there are new solutions to problems evolving almost every day. That's great. So you've been at it for a little over three years. And yeah, I'm curious if you can dive in a little bit more, maybe provide a couple of examples of, of what's working really well and where you're seeing success. <clears throat> uh, I think we were the first one to actually standardize the, ten the tender criteria, And uh, the market has responded like we already in Norway and mostly around Oslo has more than 200 machines uh, at work that are electrical and that formerly will be done on diesel. So that's quite a lot. And next year we will have more than 250 zero emission heavy duty escalators coming to Norway. That will be actually 50% of the total sales of escalators in, in Norway and more than 50% of what is sold in the Oslo region and most of them will be in the Oslo region. So that's actually a great number. And uh, to see such a fast response to the criteria, that was, I think, beyond our expectations. So I think it's nice walking around in my neighborhood because I live in this very center of Oslo and uh, to watch the zero emission construction sites. And they are different. And I think it's uh, wise that we started in the city because we have so many co-benefits. Like they're much more silent, they are clean, and we, there's no air pollution from them either. So I think the construction sites fits well in a city. And I think also has a lot of co-benefits that actually I think the workers are more happy. Many other workers have come to us and said, the construction sites are safer because of the electrical machines. So I think there's a lot to gain from it. And it's inspiring to see. It's inspiring to see how fast things can be done if you really put together things uh, correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like a dream come true. I, where I live right now, there is a ton of construction happening. The buildings, <coughs> the roads... Underneath the roads, I mean, it's it's it literally is everywhere. It feels like, and uh, yeah, it, it's noisy, it's smelly, and I always think about the folks who have to do that work day in and day uh -huh. out, and how uh, 
yeah, how challenging that would be for me if I had to be around that all the time. So definitely appreciate the co-benefits to the, the to the human beings who are uh, doing that construction. Um, that's all really exciting, Heidi, and you know, kudos to you and and your team for for really driving this forward. Um, my last question, and then we'll we'll shift gears a little bit. You've talked about you know creating mar- market confidence, and and the response from the market has been very favorable. When you first put out the uh, the procurement standards, and you asked for folks to step in and start to serve this niche, was the initial response somewhat skeptical, or were folks uh, keen to jump in and serve this need? Mm, I think it was a healthy skepticism. If there hasn't been, I think we wouldn't be able to find the solutions either. But um, uh, we had a market dialogue. I think that was very important. When we developed the standard, there was a good co- cooperation between the people in the, in the municipality who knows everything about procurement and my staff who actually know things about climate. And then we together had a market dialogue. And uh, that was, I think it was interesting and encouraging. But uh, we met a lot of questions and there are still questions and there are many small things small or bigger things that need to be solved uh, when doing such a things like that. But I think we are the first time a big public buyer standardized the tender criteria and use it to actually drive innovation. And uh, so far, I think our experiences are very good indeed. So that's all. That's all very exciting, and um, I want to shift to to Niels because you know you've been doing this work in the field. You have the direct experience uh, as the provider of construction equipment and the uh, kind of the realities on the ground with respect to providing zero emission and or electrified construction opportunities to places like Oslo. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your experience and what the current landscape, as you see it, of the zero emission uh, and electrified construction world. The, the experiences from, from Heidi's side is very exciting to, to hear. Um, from our point of view, this is, of course, has not been all that easy. Uh, it's been a lot, lot of difficulties to, to, to come uh, to, to clear out. Um, I think I think the uncertainty at the beginning was the the, the biggest issue. Um, will there be power? Will there be somebody who can op- actually operate? Um, what type of problems will we face when we start running these machines? Um, I think I think the brilliant part on Heidi's side was was that they the first job site was just outside her office. So, so everybody had to shape up and really, <laughs> really pay attention, uh, and the, it, it worked out uh, to to everybody's benefit. You know, initially we thought it would be better to do this somewhere hidden where nobody could see all our, our mistakes. <laughs> but um, I have to say, they were right. It, you do it straight there in the middle of everything, <laughs> so everybody can see um, the um, the machinery. Uh, the, the, the difficulty, I think, is to for us to um, get hold of new suppliers of different types of, of gear. So within the construction industry, we all had our supply chains ready, uh, and now we had to come up with the, the new ones. Uh, new technology we had to learn, uh, new risks we had to, to handle. Uh, 
uh, new problems, but it, it, it turned out that uh, there were less problems than, than, we, than we thought. Um, and all in all, uh, the, the machines have really performed quite well. If you look at the, uh, the uh, availability of these machines, they've been even almost more reliable and more available than, than regular machines. Uh, they didn't have to stop for refueling and they didn't have to stop for <laughs> changing engine oil and all that kind of stuff. So um, it, it worked out fine. The, um, we had a combination of uh, machines running off battery and off cable and a combination of the two. Um, the, the, the operators that were in the machines with the cable um, very, very skilled and, and, and careful, and it worked out all right. We didn't uh, run over any cables, and nobody got electrocuted, and everything worked just fine. Uh, of course, you have to have, uh, what should I say, everybody has to be um, positive. If you want to, to make this a, a disaster, uh, you can do that. Uh, but um, on the other hand, if you want to make it ha happen, then it worked, will work just fine. So all, of all, all in all, then Heidi said, uh, they started out with the three machines there in, um, in the center of, of Oslo. And now uh, you said there was more than 200 altogether. So that's all started from 2018 until now. So that's, uh, that's quite impressive. Uh, and it, it stands to show that the commitment of Oslo is uh, such that uh, we could actually start building these machines and, and make them available. It is, however, important to recognize that they're, they're still converted machines uh, at a prototype type level. So uh, we can't say that this is like world-class <laughs> manufacture. Uh, it's it's um, customized machines. But it works out fine. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you're still sort of in the beta testing phase with the machines, and and have they haven't necessarily been mass produced yet, but hopefully, that's something on the horizon. Um, with respect to the performance, you mentioned they're more reliable insofar as they don't have to stop for fueling and and uh, maintenance along those lines, fewer moving parts, uh, presumably. But how how do they perform compared to their fossil fuel counterparts in terms of what's what's being asked of them? on the construction site and the jobs that they're uh, tasked to do? Well, when we uh, set up to, to modify these machines, that was one of the criteria. They had to be of equal performance. Uh, it turned out that they're even, even better because the response of the electric motor is such that uh, they're right there. Uh, and so they're quite powerful and uh, uh, nothing they lift the same, they even work maybe even faster. So the, the machine and the response was, was perfectly fine. Um, and uh, what we've seen is that the, the machines that were doing the light work, like um, laying out the stones um, and, uh, and the pavement, um, they could work at less power to make the, the machine actually and the battery charge work uh, much longer than what we had anticipated. So for light duty work, the, the machine would actually work a full day on that one single charge. That's so for the small eight ton 
plant machines. That makes sense. That's great. And and are you finding with the various construction projects that you have sufficient power? Uh, and and are you connecting? I mean, you mentioned some of them are running on battery, others are running uh, with a cable or some sort of plug. But are you finding that there are any limitations at this point with power supply and or any concerns on the horizon that you are thinking about? <laughs> Oh, the power pl- so power supply is the issue. Uh, if if you can solve the power supply issue, then uh, everything will be much easier. Uh, just for the entertainment, we've had visitors from Japan, from Itachi, to 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 see the job site, uh, and they didn't pay all that much attention to our machines because, well, to be honest, they could make it much better themselves. I'm quite sure. But uh, they were all over the, the power supply and the, uh, the uh, where the power came in and how we handle all that kind of stuff. Uh, and my expectation is that if you really want to make this a worldwide thing, uh, then credible power supply has to be established to, to make this happen. Um, I, I don't think a major manufacturer will dare to start large series production until the power issue is uh, found itself a good a good solution that makes sense um, and then are there cost advantages to going this route and I recognize you're still in the prototype phase so you're likely incurring higher costs uh, at least at the outset in trying to reconfigure things but longer term are you seeing that there are uh, potential savings and or cost advantages overall? Well, what, what we saw is that the, the, the basic technology, the electrification is very efficient. So immediately you save at least 50%, maybe uh, at the job sites that we had for the, for the experiments, uh, we were up to 75%. But that's not only technical reasons, that's also because the machines were used by skilled operators. But uh, the, the savings of energy just calculating the the energy that is available in the diesel fuel and comparing it to the energy they use in kilowatts and electricity, um, the saving is significant. Um, also, an electric motor will typically have a much longer lifespan than uh, than a diesel. Um, so, the, potentially, the machines can be uh, much longer lasting. But, you know, modern manufacturing has made the construction machine sort of like uh, not planned obsolescence, but everything sort of wears out at the same time. Uh, so, but, but I think if you, if you applied good maintenance programs, you know, you can make an excavator for the future last twice as long or even more. Great. Well, I hope someone or m- many people are documenting some of these great findings and uh, takeaways because I think this is going to be a, a very cool case study for others to emulate. Uh, and I want to dig in more on on the process and your experience, Nils, but I want to switch to Marta and, and inquire with her working across uh, not just in Oslo but in other places in, in Europe. Um, what What's happening beyond Oslo in this space, in the zero emissions construction realm 
many different things are happening uh, at very different levels. So um, cities are, are getting interested and uh, different city networks are getting interested in this work. Of course, uh, it's still uh, at a very pioneer phase, but um, zero emission construction is getting more and more interest across the sphere. So, um, for instance, C40, which is a global city network uh, taking action on climate change, have been developing this um, clean construction declaration, and uh, four cities have signed on it. These four cities are Oslo, Budapest, Los Angeles, and Mexico City. So cities from across the world are starting to adopt targets um, towards zero emission construction sites. So within, for instance, this uh, declaration, cities have uh, agreed to reduce their embodied emissions of their uh, buildings and their infrastructure projects by 50% by 2030. And to be able to do this, of course, you have to procure uh, low emissions materials such as cement and steel, but a very efficient way to reduce this emission is to reduce the emissions from the machinery that built um, the buildings and the infrastructure projects. Um, similarly, they agreed, they committed to procure and use when possible only zero emission construction machinery from 2025 and require zero emission construction site citywide by 2030. So, um, the different cities have put in place uh, actions. For instance, uh, Los Angeles have decided that um, to add a procurement ref uh, preference to city contracts for contractors who use uh, zero emissions equipment. So this is already happening today um, in Europe, in Oslo, in Budapest, but also beyond Europe. Um, uh, other examples um, could be London. Uh, London decided to uh, progressively strengthening the air quality requirements in their uh, ultra-low emission zone. So um, the requirement first were only on vehicles running in the streets, but they realized a big part of their uh, NOx, PM10, and PM2.5 emissions was, were coming from construction sites. And so they decided that from 2040 onwards, only zero emission construction sites are allowed within this uh, ultra low emission zone. Um, Another example comes from the Netherlands. The Netherlands realized that um, they have a problem at national level with NOx emissions and because of their um, agricultural sector. But another big source of NOx emission is uh, construction sector. And so they decided to heavily invest in reducing emission in the construction sector and they're tackling this um, through zero emissions electrified machinery. Um, so I would say uh, the world is moving. Um, there is interest, interest as well at the European level. We are starting to see it, but uh, it's especially, I would say, a bottom-up approach. So um, the cities are doing the groundwork uh, and hopefully, eventually, we'll get for us at the European level, be able to uh, implement some policy more uh, top-down. But um, yeah, I would say the conversation is growing and a lot of different examples are coming together from all over the world. That's really wonderful to hear. And 
everything you've said, it really touches on the kind of the thing that excites me about electrification is we can tackle our climate problem, but we can also tackle our air pollution problem, which, as you noted, so many cities grapple with this, and it's it affects our daily lives, our public health, and, uh, you know, there are huge benefits to be uh, reaped by going the route of zero-emission construction and uh, low-emission equipment. Um, I asked this of Nils, but I'm curious if you can share any insights you've gleaned from the various uh, local efforts underway, whether or not you have a sense of the comparison of the electric machinery to diesel in terms of cost profiles, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, any other data you've you've gathered uh, in your efforts? Um, electric machinery have a lot of advantages, uh, as we've been saying, compared to diesel machinery. Uh, in terms of cost profile today, they are more expensive than uh, diesel machinery, but they, um, their operational cost, their OPEX, is much cheaper compared to diesel machinery. The fuel cost is lashed. Electricity is much cheaper than, than diesel. Um, and also, these machinery are way more efficient. Uh, similarly, they have very low maintenance costs, and as Neil said. Um, and then the um, beyond cost, there are a lot of different um, added benefits. So we talked about silence versus very noisy uh, machines. And silence is beneficial also for safety. Um, workers on site struggle with hearing losses and problems. And uh, also safety issues. If our um, engine is running loud, you won't hear if somebody's screaming on site. And this can end up very poorly. Um, electric machineries have nearly zero greenhouse gas emissions compared to very high emissions profiles um, from uh, diesel machineries. We calculate around 40 megatons of CO2 emissions in Europe. This is more than the total emissions of Croatia. This is a lot. And then pollutants. So um, diesel machineries have high NOx, uh, PM10, PM2.5 emissions electric machineries have virtually zero. And also uh, these cre reducing these emissions have a benefit for the workers on site, but all the people living around construction sites, all of us every day walk next to construction sites. If we could stop breathing, their um, you know, pollutants would be much better. And finally, um, I would add electric machineries tend to be connected. And so it's very easy to gather data on their efficiency, when they're used, how they're used. And this helps uh, us making the entire construction site more efficient because if we know how we're using our machineries, we can optimize their use, keep them less time on site, maybe not running because we have an overall uh, overview on what's going on in the construction site. While traditional diesel machinery Normally, they're not connected. It's much harder to, mm, you know, um, bring them into the digitalization sphere. Let's say, yeah, that makes total sense. It's uh, it's the smart grid of construction um, and the smart home of construction, so to speak. Uh, I want to jump back to the the question of power supply because I feel like that's a super important issue not to be overlooked. Heidi, I'm sure mm -hmm. this has come up a lot in your. Uh, discussions with providers and uh, the project managers. 
what steps are you all taking to address this issue and, and what's being done more broadly to ensure that longer term growth in this space is really addressing the power supply needs of zero emission and electrified construction? I think we are testing a various of solutions. Uh, one, of the, one of them I think is worth mentioning is uh, actually a battery container that you could bring to a construction site. And uh, then the experiences so far that it's been, been efficient because uh, it could be difficult in many places to have enough power on site. So such a, such a container could be a good solution to it. Uh, we have uh, tested it on, you know, on several sites and there is a company delivering them. And I think so far it has been, um, I think we had, um, uh, so far the experiences has been good. But I think in, in Nils as well, we could ask, uh, talk more about that. But uh, in, uh, we will have to say that we are quite lucky in Oslo because we have uh, quite a lot of power available. And also, I think that is a reason to start with the cities because many of the cities, you will have, have a grid there with quite a lot of power. But I think even in, even in a city, a battery container could be a part of the solution to the, um, uh, to the supply question. Thanks. That's helpful. Nils, do you want to add from your perspective uh, what what solutions should and or are being explored on this front? The um, the, the different types of, of solutions, including like the, the battery power bank is, is certainly important. The, the beauty of such a solution is that you can have a, a, a relatively small connection, uh, but being able to, to supercharge uh, large battery packs from this over a very short period of time, because over over the entire twenty four hours of the uh, of the day, then um, you know you can get a, quite a bit of power. But if you needed that performance just over say one hour, um, then that would be a very large drain on the on the grid. Um, so that would be a very big problem. But uh, with the battery containers, so that's um, that's a good solution. But I also think that there's uh, a lot of lot of uh, questions concerning uh, concerning thinking out of outside the box. Uh, we've used uh, electricity within tunneling in Norway for many years, mm -hmm. uh, and they actually bring the high current into the tunnel, and they use uh, use the, um, the the transformer to to get down to working power at the job site. Normally, you don't really want to go more than a few hundred meters from the transformer. Um, so within tunneling, then you have the great benefit of having much cleaner air than you would have if you had diesel engines in that tunnel that's being constructed. Mm. Um, so so th these experiences and, and, and lessons learned from that, uh, I think we can... Uh, you can benefit from. And uh, I think if you just have to start asking questions. Like, for instance, <laughs> the first machines that we made were all 400-volt uh, machines. Uh, if the bigger machines should be able available, maybe they should be 1,000 volts. Or uh, in, in harbors, like, for instance, uh, LA, I guess, you would have shore power at 6,000 volts. Uh, and those could be usable for very large machines. 
So um, a lot of lot of different thinking about this, uh, but it's all new stuff to the regular regular construction machine guys. So so, so <laughs> we have to roll up our sleeves and and get back to school and figure out all this. <laughs> Absolutely, but we are in a lot of spaces uh, entering new eras in which we're going to have to think about things in a different way and retrain and or uh, get up to speed on the new technologies. Um, I'm I'm curious if if you can elaborate a little bit more on that, Nils, with respect to the workforce training aspect and what you experienced in getting the workers and others um, you know, comfortable and, and feeling confident to, to use these technologies and the equipment? Well, well the, the, the biggest difference is that they are much more uh, digitalized. Uh, so the safety systems and, and the battery control systems and, and everything is, is all computer. Uh, and you know how your computer works sometimes? It's, it sort of like starts up in the wrong end of the program and you have to restart and that kind of stuff. Uh, so when we tell, tell our service mechanics that what you have to do is to shut off everything, disconnect everything, then reconnect everything and start up again, you know, they, <laughs> that's not how you, how you normally repair a construction machine, you know, right. uh, but, this, but these, uh, these machines you do. Uh, and it, uh, it, it normally then everything solves itself. Mm. So half, half of the issues that we have are, are um, those type of problems uh also we have issues concerning um uh, not really understanding that when you um use a lot of lot of power then that connection needs to be singular you cannot connect connect everything else to that same same socket uh, it's it's like in your house, you know. If you right. if you put everything on the same socket, then you'll have problems. Right. And so, um, basic stuff like that. We've had safety trainings, um, so everybody needs to understand that uh, you have live wires and you have uh, things that you need to take care of. Uh, we do we do health and training to which is mandatory for Norway for everything everybody that has anything to do with a with a major electrical system uh, so each year you have to retrain both on the safety issues concerning that plus the um, the, uh, the the first aid stuff that goes with it um, and also the, uh, the, the the machines it's themselves are are made um, very safe, so they will have like shutoffs and, and automatic shutoffs and, and fail to safe arrangements. Uh, the batteries are different than they would be in an electric car in that they are powerless until they're just given the order to deliver power. Um, so it's not they're not permanently connected. Um, but still, you have uh, electrical system that may have um, electricity stored in them. So everybody needs to understand that when you have an electric machine, you need to uh, be careful. You pay pay attention to um, to scarfed cables and uh, and um, there is dents and whatever that is in in shielding. Uh, so those are basically the issues. But um, so far we've been doing all right, and um, normally the, the the safety systems. Uh, take care of everybody. So I, I think um, 
I'm very optimistic that we'll have less problems actually than uh, than we've had before. Wonderful, that's great to hear, and I imagine your uh, experience will lend itself to a lot of consulting in the future. <laughs> I imagine your phone might be ringing off the hook in the in the next uh, several years. Um, well, Laura, can I share an, uh, an experience from the uh, the lesson learned from the electrification of transport? Please, please, yes. Because uh, now we have nine out of ten cars sold in Norway are either fully electric or hybrid electric, and two-thirds of new private cars are fully electric. And what we see is if you first started to buy an electrical car, you never go back to diesel or pe- petrol again. And uh, and uh, that has been, uh, I think, when this uh, transition started, I think many were ne- nervous about that because there is a little bit hassle in the beginning to learn a new system. But the overall experience has been very good. And uh, the electrification of the public transport, even um, of the private transport, has gone extremely fast. I think even faster than many of the optimistic has uh, been thinking. And I think like even thinking of that your next, I think almost everybody now thinks that their next car is obvious to be an electric car because the in overall, I think experience of them is much better. And I see many other, I think we will see the same things happening in the construction sites. And we see it also in the light duty and heavy duty vehicles. Uh, this morning, I was when I walked, walked to work, I saw uh, there was actually two heavy vehicles, uh, not very light duty vehicles uh, running beside each other. And uh, the, the first one was a diesel one, and there was a noise, noise, noise. And then uh, the electric one came after, and you couldn't hear it. And uh, while I was walking, it was just you could you could, it could pass me, and it was so silent, so clean, and the experience there. I think it's the difference. Yeah, is so obvious that I think uh, in total uh, this will happen. The question is uh, is I think how how fast is it possible to go through the transition? But it will it will eventually be there because the technology is better. I agree. Um, and excited to see what does happen here in the next few years. I think we're going to see a ramp up of a lot of things. Um, we're winding down our time. This has been a fascinating conversation and I uh, really appreciate all of your uh, time and expertise. I'll ask one final question for each of you to, to uh, end the show on. Um, Marta, I'll start with you. What lessons would you impart to either cities or entities that are seeking to get started on the electrification of construction or decarbonization of construction? As was mentioned before, cities have a lot of power in terms of public procurement. I think it's very important to city to put their money where their mouth is. So, um, use that power, use that public procurement to set very strict standards uh, on uh, electric machinery. And then I would say be brave and adopt a phase-out date for diesel machinery. Um, Today, this might sound really scary, but the moment you adopt a phase-out date, 
then the entire market shifts because you're giving the right incentives uh, to the market. And then um, what has been really important in some of the cities is the public support in setting up power connections. Power connection can be really hard, but if the public support is there, um, things can be um done easily. And then, of course, the usual support R&D, support schemes for uh, purchasing machinery and uh, revised emission standards. And this, these things can all, all together can push the market towards electric machinery. And the moment in which the market picks up, we've clearly said many times, electric machineries come with a lot of additional benefits. So if the market is up to speed, then they will get everywhere. Great recommendations, and I hope Bologna is working on putting together a toolkit and a list of recommendations for folks, because I think those are all really, really relevant. Uh, Heidi, how about you? Lessons to impart to other cities seeking to go down this path? I think Marta said all the wise things. <laughs> and yes, uh, never ever underestimate your procurement power and be brave and use it to create innovation. And I think, copy others. We are happy to share our tender criteria. If that will fit for you, please use our experience as much as possible. And I don't think we have time for everyone to invent everything by themselves. So please learn from each other. Uh, we are doing that in a big scale. We are part of the C40 network. And if you're really going to create market for these new machineries, we have to work together and we have so there's so the demands are great enough for the companies to start uh, serial production of the machineries. So procurement is one of the very first steps. Our next steps is regulations because uh, there are also a lot of private things in building and do your job and get do the market dialogue. I think it's extremely important because you there are actually very big things that need to be moved but uh, if you get things in line there are great achievements to be reached so good luck excellent and nils your uh lessons learned and or insights that you would impart to other entities seeking well to we, we've had the pleasure of being part of the dialogues with uh, the city of oslo and Bologna. Uh, and I think those are probably the main takeaway that we have uh, because it's been a true dialogue. They've listened to us as well, not only, you know, a one-way dialogue like it very often is from a big buyer. Um, so uh, they've listened to us and they, they understood that this was difficult and it's, uh, they need to be lenient in the beginning uh, and uh, consider this as pilots. Uh, which it is, you know, whether you like it or not, it's going to be research and pilots. Uh, so uh, then this dialogue has really worked out well. And um, we've learned a lot from uh, from uh, working together with with, uh, with Oslo and, and Bologna. And um, I think that's the biggest takeaway that we can have. Wonderful. Well, you all are doing incredible work and really pioneering the next uh, horizon of decarbonization and electrification. And it's exciting to speak with you today. Uh, I really appreciate your time today and I will say goodbye. Um, so thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Yes. 
Electrify This is an Energy Innovation original podcast. Energy Innovation is a nonpartisan energy and climate policy think tank. We provide customized research and policy analysis to, dis- to decision makers to support policy design that reduces emissions at speed and scale required for a safe climate future. You can find more information about Energy Innovation and the podcast at energyinnovation.org forward slash electrify this. Please continue to subscribe, follow, and give us a five-star review if you're liking what you're hearing. It helps us expand our reach and our impact. And of course, tag us on social with hashtag electrifythis. As always, a huge thanks to our sound engineer, Rowan Stigner, and the audio in in Salt Lake City. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, and you're plugged in to Electrify This. Electrify This.